Amen. Go with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter, chapter number 3. Amen. It's so good to see everyone in the house of the Lord, as Brother Austin has already mentioned. All of our guests and our new people, we're so thankful that you're here. And we want you, if you will, to meet us in the discipleship room for a few moments right after service. We look forward to connecting with you. Remember, 5 o'clock this evening, be free. 6.30, I'm sorry, 6 o'clock, we have prayer. And uh, it's going to be a powerful time in the prayer room. I'm going to ask you to come and really, really pray. Uh, I might mention that right after service this morning, if you're planning on going on the men's fishing trip later in the summer, please meet on my left side over here right after service and uh, get together about that. And uh, tonight, we have evangelist Braden Anderson with us and looking forward to, uh, to being in service with him. I had the opportunity to meet him a few days ago, he comes highly recommended, and he did a great job at a service that I was, uh, I was also speaking at. And so Brother Braden Anderson will be with us tonight, going to have a Holy Ghost time. He's quite a harvest evangelist. If you know anybody that needs the Holy Ghost, needs a breakthrough, bring him to church tonight. It's going to be an awesome time in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Service Wednesday night at 715 Next Sunday is going to be a great day. Brother Jake Bateman in the morning, Pastor Corey Porterfield in Sunday night. It's going to be a great time. Mother's Day, just a couple of weeks away. We've got a lot of good things happening. Brother Billy Joyner, our prayers go out to you and your family. Brother Billy lost a son this week, and I hope that you'll hold him and his family up in prayer in Jesus' name. Also, if you are going on the Israel trip, that trip we leave tomorrow morning. If you're going on the Israel trip, I'll need to meet with you following service tonight for just a few minutes. Make sure that, that uh, you have everything ready to go. And so that'll be tonight. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. Second Peter chapter number three. Second Peter chapter number three, beginning at verse number one. If you found it, say amen. amen. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. In both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He said, I want to remind you of some things. Look at verse 2. Here's what he's trying to remind us of. First, he said that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. He said, I need you to remember what the prophets and apostles have preached. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. Everybody say the last days. There shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. He said, there were these people, they were willingly ignorant. They were standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He said, the flood came. 
And they were standing by the water and in the water, and they still chose not to believe. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In verse 5, he said, For this they willingly are ignorant. When I was about a 12-year-old boy, we went to church camp, and we had classes every day. There was a sister. Her name was Parker. We called her Dave because there was a baseball player named Dave Parker, so we called her Sister Dave, but we were just dumb kids. Sister Parker and Sister Hope Dorset taught a lesson titled Willingly Ignorant. And I guess I, well, obviously I haven't. 51 years I I hadn't forgot it yet so they did a good job I don't know that I've ever preached this passage of scripture before but I want to preach about being willingly ignorant not ignorant because they didn't know but ignorant because they chose not to know made a decision willingly to ignore the words of the prophets and the apostles. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, help me to preach what you've laid on my heart. I pray, God, that above everything else that happens today, that your anointing would touch us to hear your word. Not a speech, not a talk, not a sermon, but a word from you, God. I pray for your anointing, O oh Lord, to touch our minds to receive it. Touch our hearts, O oh God, to receive it. Touch our lives to react to it. And God, that when we leave this place, that we will know that we have been in your presence and we've heard your word. God, I pray, let the altar be full of people that are hungry for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray, God, do it. And everybody said amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. The Apostle Peter penned this second epistle to those that he said were of like precious faith. He stated here that his goal was to stir up the pure minds of the church by way of remembrance. He wanted to get church people to remember the words and the warnings of God. He knew that life had a way of causing people to forget. We get busy, we get burdened. We get sidetracked and we forget the words and the warnings that God gives us. The apostle reminded them in verse 2 of chapter 3 to be mindful of the words spoken by the prophets and the apostles of the Lord. He said you can't, you, you have to be careful not to forget the messages that God has sent to us. He then begins to focus specifically 
on what he wants us to be mindful of and to remember. Verses 3 and 4 of 2 Peter chapter number 3 says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He warned that there would come in the last days. Everybody say the last days. He said there's going to come men. that He, he called them scoffers. The other, another definition of the word is mockers. He said they're mocking the church saying where's the Lord's coming? He's not coming back. The Lord's not really coming back for his people. Everything's going on just like it always has from the beginning of creation. This whole thing about the, the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord for his people. It's just a fable. It's just a religious tale. It's not really going to happen. It is an attempt by this end time spirit from hell to get God's people to believe that the Lord is not really coming back for his people. Amen. And, Paul, and Peter says, I'm putting you in remembrance not to forget what the prophets and the apostles said. In other words, the Lord really is going to come back for his people. Amen. He's really coming back in an attempt by Satan to lure people into a false sense of security. I've got plenty of time. I, I'll get right later. I'll get right down the road sometime. I'll, I'll get it together at some other point. It is an attempt by the enemy to make you think the Lord's not coming soon. I don't have to worry about it. And then he makes a reference that uh, if you're not careful, you'll miss it. But it's a reference back to the people who mocked Noah for building the ark. For this they, the Bible said, were willingly ignorant that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's talking about the flood that was sent on the earth and the men that heard Noah preach to get on the ark for, gener for all those generations that Noah preached. That here they are, standing by the water and in the water. While the earth is being overflowed, while the flood is filling the earth, they perished while standing in the very flood that they said was never going to happen. Mocking Noah. Mocking the man of God for building an ark while standing by the water and in the water, they drowned because they were willingly ignorant. While the rain began to fall, this isn't what Noah preached about. This isn't really the flood. While the water started to soak the ground and the, the dry earth was turned into mud, standing by the water and in the water, it's not really gonna happen. This isn't what Noah preached about. As the waters rose up to their ankles and they began to think, maybe it is what Noah said, but that end time spirit said, no, this is not the flood that Noah talked about. 
And then the Bible said that being overflowed, they stood in the water so long that eventually it overflowed and they perished. There are people that have heard preaching their entire life that have put off, this isn't really going to happen. The Lord's not really coming back. I don't really have to live this way. And while standing in the rising tide of the end time, they, de they deny that it's time to get right. And soon they're overflowed by what's really going to take place in this world. Amen. It feels like, I mean, I preached last Sunday night on holiness. I preached Wednesday night on the works of the flesh and today I'm preaching on the end time and the coming of the Lord I'm not purposely trying to pick the most unpopular topics to preach I'm just trying to bear my heart and soul because I'm going to stand before God and have to give an account for everyone that's in this room this morning and by God's grace I'll deliver what he's laid on my heart to you Peter made it clear that when the world is being destroyed by fire, there will still be people who are willingly ignorant of the danger therein and choose to remain in their sin. If you know me very well, you know that when I'm in my car, I don't listen to the news. I get so sick of political fighting and arguing. I don't listen to it. I don't listen to the news. I don't listen to sports radio. I don't listen to music. I'm not into to, to all that stuff. And so while I'm going down the road, I'm usually listening to podcasts of some sort. Normally something having to do with leadership or, or history. I love history and historical podcasts. And I try to expand my knowledge base the best I can. And uh, I put it in. I just have memory trouble and can't always get it out. But I do put it in. One of the podcasts that I've listened to quite a bit lately is a podcast called Real Dictators. And uh, don't, don't listen to it if you don't have a stomach because, uh, man, they, they talk about some gruesome things that have happened. What I've learned over the last 100 years is that mankind is perfecting ways of hurting each other. The last 100 years has seen dictators who are responsible for the worst atrocities of all of history. What may have happened 2,000 or 3,000 years ago was limited by a lack of technology, but as technology has advanced, evil men have turned that technology into methodology for killing people. Stalin and Hitler and Mao by themselves are responsible for over 130 million deaths by arrest and torture. Not counting the people that were killed in World War II because Hitler began that process. Pol Pot himself killed 1.7 million Cambodians and destroyed over 2,000 years of their history in the process. The staggering numbers of deaths by these four men combined, if you just counted the people that they were responsible for killing, the number that those four men killed would be the 10th largest nation in the world today. 
And it would be bad enough if death alone was the entire story. But their total disregard for morality during the process is staggering. The joy these men received from the suffering of others goes beyond my ability to conceive. They used prisoners and peasants for human experiments, tying men and women and children to posts to see how the flamethrower would, how long it would take them to die while being burned with flamethrowers. Performing major surgeries on people without anesthetic to see how the pain might affect them. In World War II, the Japanese invasion of China inflicted some of the worst atrocities of all kind, forcing people who they called Chinese pigs to stand barefoot in the snow to see how long it took their feet to become frostbit, and then, again, without anesthetic, cutting their toes and fingers open to see what frostbite looked like on the inside. Making people spend hours in frozen water just to see how long it would take them to freeze and then putting them in boiling water to see how long it would take for their body temperature to rise back. Ordering millions of fleas to be infected with bubonic plague and dropped from low-flying aircraft over entire cities so they could stand on the outside and see how long it took for it to spread and people to die. These five men are only a few of the men of the last hundred years who took evil pleasure in inflicting pain and suffering on fellow humans. Time doesn't permit me to tell of the atrocities of Papa Doc Duvalier or Robert Mugabe or Kim Il-sung or Hussein or a litany of others that have used modern technology to inflict the most horrific things on fellow man. While modern culture would like to tell you that we are evolving into higher life forms of consciousness, the last 100 years stands out as some of the most brutal of all time. The fact is that sin is degrading the, for, the moral fiber of humanity. All these terrible acts have been committed in a world that still had the influence of praying Christians and a church and the Spirit of God leading people to pray. And if all that happens when there is still a church in the world, I wonder what's going to happen in the coming days. There will come a time, brothers and sisters, and I believe it's going to be very soon when the Lord is going to instruct His angel to lift a golden trumpet to His lips and with an eternal blast, the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Can I preach to you a little bit this morning? Early in the 1950s, a man by the name of Jim Hill 
of the Golden Hills Quartet. His mother-in-law became gravely ill and he was a new Christian and he couldn't understand why she was suffering. And while he was driving home from work, he asked God why this precious lady was having to suffer and why this was happening to her. And he said while driving down the road, the words came flooding to his head. And when he got home, he grabbed a piece of cardboard and started writing the words down. The first person he sang the song to was his dying mother-in-law. And here's what he said. There's coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. And there'll be peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day. That will be. Hallelujah. I like this one. There'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. No more pain. No more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. It's going to happen, Brother Wilson. One of these days, that old mound of dirt in that cemetery is going to part. And your daddy and your mama and your boy are going to get up. And we're going to rise with them in the air. It's really going to happen. What a day. What a day. What a day. What a day it's going to be. Oh, hallelujah. No more cancer. No more funerals. No more disease. No more pandemics. No more suffering. No more rape. No more molestation. No more murder. No more crying. What a day, glorious. And I'm looking for that day. Oh, Lord, I'm looking for that day. Hallelujah. For those who have obeyed the gospel and made themselves ready with a whole heart, it's going to be the greatest day of all time. Man, I've had some great days. I, I remember the day that I stood in that, in that church in Kokomo, Indiana, and I watched my wife walk down that aisle. That was a great day. I remember that day at the Memphis Women's Hospital when Ellie was born. I can't believe she's about to graduate. Man, if I could slow time down, if somehow I could reverse it, I wouldn't want to change a lot. I just want to go back and relive it again. But I can't do it. But I remember, man, what a day that was. Hallelujah. I remember the day when Kate was born and I held that little baby in my arms. There's been some great, great days in my life, but not one single day is going to compare to the day that that trumpet sounds and gravity loses its hold and there'll be no more worry or trial, no more trouble, but we'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ forevermore. It's going to be a day. Man, it's going to be a great day. Look at somebody tell me it's going to be a great day. For those who have obeyed the gospel, it's the greatest day of all time. But for those not prepared for his return, that trumpet, trumpet blast will foretell of a time of suffering unparalleled by all the dictators of all time combined. 
Don't be willingly ignorant, my brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ is not coming back for the unprepared, the unconcerned, or the unholy. Come on now. Revelation 19 and 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. You gotta get ready. You gotta get ready. You gotta get ready. Don't be willingly ignorant. He's coming back for those that are making themselves ready. Ephesians 5, 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You cannot afford to be slack on sin and worldliness in your life. Amen. Don't look at things that are trying to pull your heart away from the Lord as little issues and things that don't matter. Anything that could be a spot or a blemish on my record when I stand before God, I got to get rid of it because he's coming for a bride. That's You got to get ready, folks. Whatever you got to do today to walk out those doors and say, I'm ready in the Lord. You got to get ready. Don't be willingly ignorant. be standing at ankle deep in the waters of the end time and say there's no flood there's not a flood here don't be standing by the water and in the water that's going to carry this world away and say he's not really coming back that's not really true can I tell you if you don't realize that we're in the waters of the end time you're not paying attention to what's happening in this world this world is racing towards the end of all the ages we're standing in the water and by the water and I want to be ready God help me get on the ark present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it may be holy without blemish Luke 12 and 40 be ye therefore ready be ye therefore ready look at somebody across from you and tell them you gotta be ready look at somebody else tell them you gotta be ready you got to be ready for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Get ready because He's coming. Don't be willingly ignorant and say, It's not coming now. I got time. You don't have, you don't know if you have time. You don't know if you have another day. You don't know if you have next week. He said, You just got to be ready because the Lord is coming back. I'm trying to tell somebody, don't be willingly ignorant. The wicked acts of Hitler and Stalin and Mao and all the others pale. But they are an indicator of how brutal the Antichrist will be when there's not a church to restrain him. If these mere mortal men can invent such wicked ways to make others suffer, it will be nothing compared to what the man possessed by the devil himself is going to do. Brothers and sisters, don't be willingly ignorant. Revelation 12 speaks of a great war in heaven between Michael and God's angels against Satan and the fallen angels. The Bible tells us that Michael wins this cosmic struggle 
And Revelation 12 and 9 tells us the result of the victory by heaven's angels. 12 and 9, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into where? Where? Cast into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. At the end of this cosmic war, Satan and his angels will be cast into the earth without the restraint of the Spirit of God to stop their wicked, vile actions. It will initiate a time of suffering that the world has never seen before. This is where Revelation 12 and 12 tells us, Therefore rejoice, heavens, and ye that dwell therein. Rejoice, heaven, and the ones that are in heaven. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. In that day and hour, the devil will unleash a wrath that will make Stalin, Hitler, and Tojo look like Sunday school children. If you think they invented ways to inflict pain and suffering, it will be nothing like what will be unleashed on the earth in that terrible day, inflicted with no reservations, no restraints, because he knows he has but a short time the suffering of that terrible day will be so mad, so bad that in the end time humanity will crave to die. Revelation 9, 6 And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die but death shall flee from them. My brothers and sisters I realize I realize that I'm not preaching a aisle shouting message tonight. But may I tell you, do not leave this place willingly ignorant of the Lord's day is certainly coming. At some point, there will rise a man who will be possessed by Satan. We will call, we refer to him as the Antichrist. But make no mistake, he'll get the world under his spell. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 and 9. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. He will have power, signs, and lying wonders and will deceive the nations. But the next three verses tell of the worst part of the entire end time. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10, 11, and 12. This is speaking of that same Antichrist. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. 
had it, but they didn't love it. They didn't love the truth. They received the truth, but they didn't receive a love of it. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. If I miss the rapture, I'll just refuse the mark of the beast. If I miss the rapture, I'll just refuse the mark. And then I maybe, no, my friend, if you can't run with the footman, you can't contend with the horses. If you can't obey now, when it's easy, you won't obey then. The Bible said that if you had truth but didn't love it, that you'll get a spirit of delusion on your mind. Have you ever known anybody whose mind was deluded? That they thought they were right but they were wrong? They thought everything they said, everything they did was right, but in reality, they were completely wrong. The Bible said if you don't love the truth, then in that end time, your mind is going to be deluded to believe that everything is okay. That's why people can walk in a holiness church and live for God for years and then backslide and go out in the world and think everything's okay, that they can live how they want, do how they want. It's because their mind has accepted a delusion that they believe everything's okay, but it's not. My brothers and sisters, don't be willingly ignorant. you got to stop the process now while you got a chance. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. This cause, 11 and 12, 2 Thessalonians 2, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The saddest thing of all will be there's going to be good people who sat in good churches. They had the truth but didn't fall in love with it. And convinced that they can live however they want and still be saved. God, I don't want to be willingly ignorant. I don't want to choose that path for myself. I know one thing for certain, folks. I want to be saved more than I want anything else. I want to be saved. You better do all you can. You better do all you can to stay right with God. You keep a right spirit. Do whatever you can to keep a right spirit. Do whatever you can to live right. You got to do your diligence to walk uprightly before the Lord. I'm almost done. I'm getting close to the end here. In the Bible, we learn of a place called the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was such a ghastly, terrible place that Jesus used its common name, Gehenna, as a metaphor for hell itself. In the Valley of Hinnom is where, in the Old Testament, idolatrous Jews set up an idol that they named Molech. Molech was made of brass in the form of a man. This giant brass idol was hollow. So they could light a raging fire inside of it. And that they would feed that fire with wood 
and keep that fire going perpetually. The heated brass would grow incredibly hot and become red and glowing under the intense flame of the heat. That brass idol would glow red. And it was then that these backslidden Jews took their children and put their living children in the hands, the burning, glowing red hands of this idol and burned their children to death. They thought mistakenly, deluded in their mind, that if they sacrificed a child as an offering to this God, that the rest of his house and family would prosper. And so a continual fire burned in the belly of this idol. Day and night, the continual shrieking and crying of burning children could be heard coming out of the valley of Hinnom. The sounds of the dying children were so horrific and disturbing that they began to set up places where there were drums and bells and musical instruments. They would beat the drums and ring the bells and play the music to drown out the screams of the burning children. Rather than change their behavior, they made enough noise to distract them from the sound of their perishing families. Instead of saving their family, they simply diverted their attention so they could ignore the sound of death. And so it is when people don't like the message. They do their best to try not to hear it. Ignore it. Divert my attention from it. But friend, you're going to be judged by this message whether you reject it or not. Don't be willingly ignorant this morning. The noisy drums, the noisy drums and bells that devotees of Molech used to drown out the ghastly cries of dying children, burned and sacrificed by their own willing parents, did not take away the guilt of having sacrificed their babies. You can avoid preaching. You can avoid the altar. You can justify your bitterness and your wicked heart. You can pretend that the cries don't exist. You can beat the drum of pleasure. And you can beat the drum of entertainment. And you can beat the drum of worldliness. But you cannot take away the fact that you're sacrificing your families to this world. Don't be willingly ignorant. Don't stand by the water and in the water and say the flood's not coming. Jesus taught about hell, he used the valley of Hinnom, Hinnom or Gehenna as an example because all those people listening to his sermon would instantly understand how horrible that place would be. He did not want them to be ignorant. Jesus' words are unreservedly explicit and disturbing. His intention was to reveal the reality and the terror of hell. Hell is not a place where people enjoy pleasure for eternity. 
not a place where singers hang out and party for all time. Hell is the eternal residence of the tormented and the wicked. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched. A place of eternal torment where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. A bottomless pit of horrors beyond imagination. It's the place where the unending suffering is poured out on the souls and the bodies of all who had pleasure in unrighteousness and rejected the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, precious young people, don't be willingly ignorant. Don't be standing in the flood of the end time and say it's not going to happen. Peter said there were those who were willingly ignorant, standing by and in the water and were carried away and perished. Your eyes are closed all over this place. I'm going to ask you to pray for me right now. I have a portion of this sermon that I have debated whether or not I should even say it. Afraid that maybe it's just too graphic and explicit. Times I've preached the goodness of God and I hope it brings people to the altar. There's times I preach his miracle power and I hope it gets people to want him. There's times I preach the blessings of the Lord and I hope it'll bring them to the altar. But then sometimes you just have to say, look, this is what's going to happen in the end. And whatever you got to do to be saved, whatever you got to do, Wilson, I fly more flights than I want to. I fly so much I don't even listen to the safety thing anymore because I already know what they're going to say. One of the things they say, Brother Wilson, is, as you well know, is that in the event of a loss of cabin pressure, masks will drop out of the ceiling. And they say this, they say, put your mask on first before helping those that are traveling with you. Because you cannot help your children if you pass out yourself. You can't help your wife, you can't help your babies. If you're gasping for oxygen and can't function and can't think, you can't. So they said, put your mask on first before. Can I tell you, moms and dads, get right with God. Don't wait on your kids. If they're not serving God, don't wait on them. Get right with God and be the example. You've got to put your mask on first. Because you can't help them if you're not where you need to be. Years ago, I ran across a book titled The Divine Revelation of Hell, written by a lady last named Baxter. Whether 
this book is a dream or a vision. I don't know. I can't remember. I looked for it in my piles and piles and piles of books. Couldn't locate it. Whether it's a dream or vision, I don't know. But in her experience, she saw hell in all of its horrible reality, and what she wrote was disturbing. One particularly disturbing part of her book, she wrote of a lost woman that she walked, that she saw in hell. She said, quote, the burning flesh hung by shreds all over her form as she stood there. Here was a lost soul that had died and went to hell. She was a skeleton with the dirty mist inside that was her eternal soul. All over her body hung parts of flesh that was full of decay. Fire started at her feet and small flames to go up all over her body. There seemed to be a constant burning. The burning flesh hung by shreds and her color was a dead gray. There was no hair upon her skull where the eyes had been were empty sockets. Yes, yet my friend, that soul had all its senses that she had died with. Cries and moans of regret came from this soul like you had never heard. I looked at the woman again and I saw worms crawling out of parts of her skeletal form. The fire did not burn them. I watched in horror. Great cries and deep sobs shook from the form of the soul as she cried out, lost, no way out, forever lost in hell. She ended this description by saying that the pits of lost souls went on as far as her eyes could see. Hell hath enlarged herself, opened her mouth beyond measure. Brothers and sisters, don't be willingly ignorant today. I told our difference makers this morning. I told Bishop Wilson, I said, we have to get back to looking at this church as a roadblock on people's ways to hell. This is not just a Sunday morning. This is not just another 10 o'clock service like we had every Sunday for the last 70-some years, 78 years. It's not like just another Sunday like we'll have for the rest of eternity till the Lord comes back for us. This service is designed by God to be a roadblock between you and the lake of fire. These next few moments that we have here, are designed by God to interrupt your step towards hell. God has designed this morning to be a turnaround for somebody to say, I refuse to let the enemy fool me any longer. 
Peter said, I'm going to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. There's going to be mockers that say the Lord's not coming back. It's not going to happen. He said there were people that were standing by the water and in the water until they perished and were swept away. He said in the end time it's going to be fire, not water. He said don't be willingly ignorant. As your eyes are closed all over this place. This is a moment. This is your turnaround. This is your moment. This is your day. Somebody needs to come to the altar and lay their soul down at this altar and say, God, whatever I got to do, help my heart to be right. Help my. Don't worry about what somebody else thinks. Don't worry about somebody else judging you. Don't worry. Don't let the enemy. Don't let the enemy keep you from the altar. If there's anything. If there's anything. If there's anything that you think, God, I got to get it right. I got to get right. I can't have it in my heart towards anybody. I, I can't have it in my, I got to get my spirit in my heart. I don't want to be willingly ignorant. You will choose this morning. You will choose this morning whether to be willingly ignorant or to make yourself ready. Come on, the altar's open. I don't know how many people are here this morning, but I know how many ought to be in the altar, every single one of us. I don't know who's right and who's not, but I know every one of us need to lay ourselves before God and say, God, I must be saved. Whatever you got to do, God, I must be saved. Whatever has to happen, I got to be Oh, there ought to be some, you ought to lift your voice and say, I need you, God. I need you. I need this moment. Come on, moms and dads, pray your way as a roadblock between your children and hell. Come on, young people, pray your way as a roadblock between your parents and a lake of fire. Come on, grandparents. I don't want to be willing. I don't want to choose to walk out and brush it off and say, nah, it's not going to happen now. I got time. Until the moment that I'm standing in the water and by the water and I'm carried away because I chose. Don't let the beating drum of the enemy divert your attention from what matters right now.
somebody close to you somehow. We're making eternal decisions. We're building landmarks right now.
stand to our feet all over the room as we're getting ready to dismiss? But before we do, I want us to check our hearts. I want us to check our hearts. Make sure we don't leave this place the same way that we came. So can we lift our hands and ask the Lord to begin to search us, reveal to us anything that's not right in us? Come on. Father, we repent of every sin, every iniquity, everything that we've done wrong, every evil thought. God, search us and know us. Try us, oh God, and see if there be any wicked way in us. Lead us in the way everlasting, oh God. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me, oh God. If I've had a bad spirit, renew a right spirit within me. If my heart's been wrong, create in me a, a clean heart. Create in it. If you have to get rid of the old stuff, create in me a clean heart. God, I repent right now. I turn to you right now. Come on, can we pray sincerely? One more moment, one more moment. Just sincerely seek after him and search your heart. God, is there anything that you want me to give up right now? I give it, I, I lay it at the altar. Anything I need to change, I can't afford to be lost. I can't afford to be lost for eternity. I've got to be saved. I've got to be saved. Listen, I need you to stay for just a moment. I've got just two announcements, three announcements. But before I do, I have to, I have to, have to give you the call that if anybody has never been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized today. Today, in Jesus' name. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, actually, the Bible says now is the day of salvation. So if you've never been baptized with the name of Jesus Christ, called over your life in baptism, you need to be baptized today. We need to find somebody, anybody around here can help you get baptized today. In Jesus' name. Three announcements, three announcements real quick. As you heard, Brother Billy's son has passed away. We're going to be in prayer for him. The visitation for Trevor is Wednesday from 5 to 8 p.m. And the service is Thursday at 1 p.m. And it is at Serenity in Holly Springs. If you would, please uh, make sure to be there and support him. And be praying for Brother Billy Joyner. Also, immediately after service, if you are one of the men of this church and you're planning on going on the men's trip, um, there's a men's meeting right here on my left, on my left right here by the drums. And so uh, be sure to be a part of that. And one last thing, one last thing. Um, if you are a guest or a new member, once, once again, if you are a guest or a new member, and let me even say it this way, if you brought a guest with you today, if you brought a guest with you today, thank you for bringing the guest and thank you guests for coming we want to honor you. We want to treat you with a with a really quick meet and greet and refreshments right behind or right in the prayer room and to the to the right in the discipleship room. Be sure to be a part of that. Be back tonight at six o'clock in Jesus' name.